0: Hello, I'm Phil Farrow, Chief Meteorologist at WSVN tv in South Florida, and this is Weather or Not. Hello everyone, in this issue we tackle the tropics. Hurricanes appear to be getting stronger, lasting longer, and dropping more rain. Some experts argue that we need a category higher than five, the most extreme level in the hurricane wind scale.
1: If you look at the intensity categories in the Saffir-Simpson scale, if you look and you look at the wind speeds about every 20 miles per hour or so, you know, you jump up to another category. So if you extrapolated that out, uh, you, you might see we would have another, you know, like put a category 6 at wind speed starting around 180 or something like that, 185 maybe.
0: I'll check in with an expert who tells us that idea may need to slow down. Plus, How would a hurricane forecast track look without a cone?
2: And by using these animated dots rather than lines, uh, we can also show the trajectory that the hurricane is projected to take.
0: Meteorologist Brent Cameron tracks this story, whether or not we'll begin just after this.
3: The best app
0: from the best weather team is right here Seven's Hurricane Tracker app.
3: Get the latest forecast models.
0: My Seven weather blog. And of course, Seven's Cone on your phone.
3: It's yours free from the Storm Station 7 News.
0: Some folks in the weather field think that the hurricane wind scale should add one more tier, a Category 6, if you will. We touched base with Professor Brian Soton from the University of Miami for his insights. Why do you think that there might be a need, Dr. Soden? Uh, for a category uh, six system, if at all, with the wind scale.
1: Well, in my opinion, I would I would probably say no that that we we shouldn't add another category. And it's not that uh, if you look at the intensity categories and in the Saffir-Simpson scale, if you look and you look at the wind speeds, about every twenty miles per hour or so, you know, you jump up to another category. So if you extrapolated that out. Uh, you, you might see we would have another, you know, like put a category six at wind speed starting around 180 or something like that, 185 maybe. And there have been storms in the past that have uh, have recorded winds of that intensity. So you might say that, okay, you know, why don't we do that? I think the, uh, the couple of reasons for not doing it. One are, or, you know, it's in the the categories are intended to advocate the level of threat and danger and category fives are already dangerous enough. I don't think anybody you know takes them lightly. So I don't think it's gonna gain necessarily anything in getting the public's attention about how severe the threat is. Uh, but probably more importantly is that there's a lot of uh, threats from a hurricane that aren't associated with wind speed. Of course, uh, storm surge and rainfall. And we've seen that recently uh, with, uh, you know, the, uh, well, Hurricane Harvey in, in, in Houston area a couple of years ago, and also yeah. the, uh, you know, the rain, all the rainfall that was dumped, it was a, a, a tropical cyclone that had transitioned into a, a exotropical cyclone, but up in the, you know, New York, New Jersey area, right. all the rainfall that dumped. So uh, there's threats beyond simply wind speed, and, and water is, of course, the, the largest Uh, killer in, in tropical cyclones. So those things aren't encompassed in that. And, you know, there's the hurricane center is kind of moving away from just focusing on wind speed to try to emphasize these other threats as well.
0: So what about, for example, there are some folks who suggest that maybe with, with climate change, that we may see stronger systems and also developing later in the season. Could that play a role in, in the, in the mindset of maybe we do need uh, a category six, or will that not even be an issue?
1: Yeah, it is. Uh, you know, so the the current understanding is that in a warmer climate, we we may see more of the strongest uh, category of storms. The you know the major Cat four and Cat five storms, and that could possibly push up the maximum intensity of storms that that would occur. Uh, that signal compared to you know so the amount of change the increase in the strongest storms compared to the year-to-year variability that that's a very noisy signal so uh, it would uh it it would take a while kind of for that signal to emerge from the noise whereas again if you focus on these other threats the rainfall threat or the storm surge threat those are uh much clearer signals that are going to, you know, be discernible from the noise much faster. And and we're already seeing, you know, the consequences of that. Like Hurricane Harvey is a good example. Uh, uh, right. of the, the kind of fits that a warmer climate provides more moisture to the atmosphere that increases the intensity of, of rainfall events and increases the, the likelihood of, of, of flooding. And with sea level rise, you, you can simply generate storm surges that weren't possible in a, say, a, a, a climate of, b- before we started uh, warming it by increasing greenhouse gases. So those, again, those threats from rainfall and storm surge are uh, likely to get uh, uh, much more worse uh, compared to what we experience now than, than the, the maximum intensity of storms.
0: So, like I said, Harvey. Harvey was an incredible hurricane, and it forced the National Weather Service to come up with new scales of rain, <laughs> rainfall totals. Um, so, what you're saying is that possibly, or not even possibly, the the biggest threat now going ahead into the future will be wetter hurricanes, wetter storms. Uh, am I am I understanding that correctly?
1: Yeah, uh, wetter storms, heavier rainfall, and and higher storm surge. And another point is that those two factors can interact with each other. Right. Uh, You know, we noticed that here in in Miami when we have king tides, when the sea level is higher, it's more difficult for the rainfall to drain off into the ocean. And so when you increase sea level rise, you increase storm surge and you have a, a heavy rain event that's amplifying those two effects interact with each other. And so you get the compound effect of having heavier rain that is draining off into the ocean more slowly because of sea level rise.
0: Another thing, and uh, maybe it's um, it's just in my imagination, but are systems lasting longer now than they have in the past?
1: Uh, I, don't, I don't think that answer is, is clear yet. You know, there is evidence that suggests that they're long lasting. There, there is some observational evidence that suggests that they're they're also moving more slowly. Um, but I don't think. Uh, the, it's clear that we can attribute a cause to that slowdown or, or cause to that, uh, uh, you know, longer lasting storms or, or even a longer lasting season.
0: So as we move ahead, what are your thoughts? What, what is your opinion on, on what the future would be like in, in the tropics as we move ahead in the next 20 or 30 years? What, what do you think uh, the activity will be like?
1: Well for and it's good that you you know it it goes beyond just tropical cyclones as well it just goes to our everyday uh, thunderstorms that when we do get rain uh, the rainfall will be more intense um and it's also likely that the rainfall just speaking generally here will become more variable so that means when it does rain uh we'll receive a larger amount of rain but in between rain events uh the, the duration of dry spells will increase. And so that increases just, uh, you know, not just for South Florida, but speaking more generally about the tropics as a whole, uh, a more variable delivery of rain means we're, we're becoming more vulnerable both to floods when it rains more intensely and to droughts in between these rain events. And so that just makes, uh, you know, it more challenging. We'll have to adapt to those kinds of changes.
0: Changes, indeed, coming ahead for us. Well, I, I really wanted to touch the, the, the subject there of the possibility of a Category 6, but obviously a Category 5 already does that for us. It already tells us that uh, the extreme destruction possibility is there. So whether it's a 5, a 6, or a 7, we're doomed if uh, there's a Cat 5 heading in our direction.
1: Yeah, we definitely need to be well prepared and and evacuated if needed uh, for those storms. So, yeah, and you're right. I don't think a, a cat at least for me personally, a cat six isn't going to make me uh, do anything different that I wouldn't already be doing for a cat four or five.
0: I share. I share your sentiments exactly, Professor Soden. Thank you for uh, helping us out and understand this subject a little better. Thank you so much.
1: Oh, thank you, Phil. My pleasure.
0: Coming up next, dots instead of a cone whether or not we'll be right back. A record storm season during a pandemic made 2020 unforgettable. This year, count on the Seven Weather Team once again to do what we do best, keep you safe. The latest alerts, the best coverage. That's why we're the Storm Station Seven News. Imagine a hurricane track forecast that does not include the cone of concern. Meteorologist Brent Cameron looks into the psychology of the storm projections.
3: Hi everyone, it's Brent Cameron, and this week's topic has us thinking outside of the box, or in this case, outside of the cone. Our focus, something we all see during hurricane season, the familiar forecast cone, And now there's new research suggesting the cone isn't doing its job. Joining me is psychology professor, Dr. Jessica Witt from Colorado State University. Dr. Witt, thank you for making yourself available for today. Hey, can you tell us as part of your research team, I know you've been looking at how people respond to the forecast cone as a tracking tool. Now, how did this all originate? Can you give us some background?
2: We're aware of the forecast cone as a way to communicate um, the projected path of a hurricane. And we are also aware of research showing some issues with the interpretation of the cone. One of the issues being that people perceive that the areas within the cone are at risk, but that areas outside of the cone are not, as if the cone creates a boundary of what is and is not at risk.
3: So, Dr. Witt, as a TV meteorologist in South Florida, one of the first things that people want to see when a new storm is born is the potential path. Now, you've mentioned the boundaries could be a little misleading to some people. Are there other problems that it can create?
2: Sometimes, one of the errors that uh, that people have in interpreting this cone is to overemphasize that central line. So in some of the visualizations of the cone, they include a a central path. And one of the misinterpretations we see is that people overemphasize that central path. Uh, Another problem is that the cone is a summary statistic and it's averaged across all the possible paths But if you look at the specific projections of the storm, they're not always uniform or even normal in their distribution. Sometimes you can get it where people predict, for example, a storm's gonna travel up the east coast of Florida, but other models project the storm traveling up the west coast of Florida. And so you may see what amounts to a bimodal projection of where the storm is gonna go, and the cone, because it's a summary statistic, the cone cannot capture that forecast. So even though right. the models are, are projecting a bimodal distribution of, of likelihoods, the the cone cannot convey that to the public.
3: And I couldn't agree more. In recent years, we at WSBN and the weather department, we've omitted displaying that middle line, just as you mentioned, because people were focused mainly on that line thinking that was the overall track that the uh, system was going to take. Yes,
2: yeah, so so one solution is to take it out of the visualization altogether so that people can't overly weight it or overly focus on another solution is to come up with a different way to visualize the risk altogether, to abandon the cone in favor of something that essentially leverages what the visual system is quite good at doing anyway.
3: Your research team has actually conducted some experiments to basically test the understanding of these hurricane projections, but how do you do that?
2: When we realized that the cone had some issues, we thought about what would be a better way, what could possibly be a better way to visualize hurricane forecasts. And I'm a vision scientist, and one of the things I study about the visual system is called ensemble perception. And this is the visual system's ability to quickly and very accurately summarize a a group of objects. So for example, looking at leaves on a tree, the visual system can very quickly figure out what's the average green, the average shape, if they're blowing in the wind, what's the average direction, uh, as well as the variability or other properties of the the distribution. And of course, that doesn't seem relevant for hurricanes. But what we thought was, if the visual system is really good at extracting these properties from a group of objects, why even show a summary statistic like the cone? Why not show a group of projected paths and let the visual system do what it's already really good at?
3: And this is really fascinating, because what I've seen I'm part of your research, Dr. Witt, is that you've even used a set of dots possibly representing where a hurricane might go instead of lines or boundaries and cones.
2: That's exactly right. We use a set of dots to show where the hurricane may go. And by using these animated dots rather than lines, uh, we can also show the trajectory that the hurricane is projected to take. But now, of course, we need to test whether people really are good at extracting the relevant information from this new visualization. And to do that, we ran a series of experiments where we showed people different hypothetical forecasts. And we queued a location and asked people, should this town be evacuated? Should the people here evacuate in advance of this hurricane? This is not... A realistic scenario, of course, we sacrifice the realism for the ability to tightly control the information and also to be able to run hundreds of trials so that we have the statistical power we need to be able to characterize people's reactions and the responses to these forecasts.
3: And it looks like you've even come up with a name for some of these animated dots that you were mentioning. Is that right?
2: That's right. So it's it's a dynamic ensemble, which is a mouthful. And so we came up with this kind of pet name for them, which we call zoomies, which is reminiscent of little kids or dogs zooming around. Uh, in that the hurricane, when the hurricanes are zooming towards us, we need to react, and we need to know have the information at hand in a way that we can process to know how we want to respond.
3: And what kind of reception might you get from these? Have you been able to judge at this point what reaction? people might have to these zoomies
2: yes so in the series of experiments we ran we are able to characterize the reactions people have to them and one of the things we found is that people are really good at perceiving the properties of these zoomies they specifically seem to use the distribution of the zoomies the density of the zoomies as a sign of the risk And so if there are more zoomies to an area, if they're denser, then people perceive that area as being at higher risk and therefore are more likely to evacuate or to prepare in advance. Uh, We also found that the biases with the cone do not exist with the zoomies. So with the cone, what we were finding is that people were evacuating areas contained within the cone at high rates. But not the areas outside the cone, and with the zoomies, we get a much more probabilistic response. So that there's not this special thing at the border that causes people to change from evacuating at high rates to evacuating at low rates. And so instead, what we can do is communicate the risk by manipulating the density of the zoomies, and that that density creates a clear signal of the risk to a given area.
3: Now, Dr. Witt, in terms of the visualization of this, and our viewers, our listeners are pretty much adept to seeing what we call the forecast plots, the spaghetti model plots. Would you say these zoomies are kind of similar to what folks might find in the spaghetti model plots?
2: We think there are some similarities to the spaghetti models. Both are about ensembles. Both are about the visual system extracting properties of ensembles or groups of objects. There may be some advantages to having the zoomies which are dynamic. They have better compatibility of of what is being visualized and the underlying concept, Hurricanes move across the space just like zoomies move across the map. We also think that there's a more flexibility in the information that the zoomies can convey. So the zoomies can be annotated to communicate additional risk factors such as wind speed, potential excessive rainfall, storm surge. And these forecasts can be shown predicting that these risk factors are dynamic, that they can change. So, for example, as the storm moves uh, inland, certain risk factors may change. And the zoomies, because they're dynamic, they can capture the dynamics of the storm as well. And we've run studies manipulating these things, and we have found that people are very sensitive to this information.
3: Now, I know your findings have been documented in the Journal of Experimental Psychology. Will you be presenting these findings anywhere?
2: Yes, we are actually presenting these findings in a couple of weeks at the Human Factors and Ergonomic Society Annual Meeting, which is taking place in Baltimore. For that work, we tested whether people who are accustomed to hurricanes and hurricane forecasts So students who live in Florida show the same pattern as the students we primarily use, which are students in Colorado who have almost no uh, exposure to hurricanes and hurricane forecasts. And we basically find the same pattern across the two groups of students. And we were not surprised by that finding because ultimately a lot of this comes down to not one's understanding of hurricanes and hurricane forecasts, but rather what the visual system does. And the visual system is pretty universal. There aren't a lot of differences across people in how they process visual information. And these visualizations communicate similarly, regardless of your prior experience with hurricanes and hurricane forecasts.
3: And Dr. Witt, I'm based in Miami and of course, so is the National Hurricane Center. Is it a goal of yours to get the NHC to use your methods maybe in the future?
2: Our goal is to have the public have a better understanding of hurricane forecasts. And if these new visualizations, if these Zoomies can achieve that, then yes, we would love for the National Hurricane Center to use it. One of the the things that the Zoomies do so well is communicate risk across a variety of factors, And so we can actually get more information into the hands of the public.
3: And I think everyone would agree. We all really need to see that the messaging is done in the best way. After all, people's lives and people's property are at stake. Do you have any final words?
2: Uh, We we would love it if what we're creating can be useful and can help people make decisions that that better align with their priorities and it can help keep them and their property safe.
3: Perfect. All right, that'll wrap it up. And we thank Dr. Jessica Witt from Colorado State University, who's seeking better ways to keep us all safe and informed when it comes to tropical weather. Thank you, Dr. Witt. Thank you. Thanks, Brent.
0: Next week on Weather or Not, would you believe our lovely Florida with plenty of coastline, boats, and fishing lovers does not rank number one for the best state to fish? We'll have the answer on our next edition and Post number one on weather or not which drops October 12th. If you have a question that we can answer on an upcoming podcast or have a comment, please send me an email at pfarrow at wsvn.com. Also, it would be really nice if you would subscribe to our podcast. You can always follow us on Twitter and Facebook at 7weather and of course, live on air at at wsvn 7. Thanks for joining us. Please tell your friends about us. We need all the listeners we can get. Until next time, I'm Chief Meteorologist Phil Farrell.